We're going over inspiration and illumination today. Talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what pneumatology means, the study of the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and pray and we'll jump in. God, we do thank you that you are our King, that you are our Lord, that you are Spirit, you are truth. And God, we pray that you would illuminate today as we study about who you are and uh, illumination and inspiration how we have your word preserved for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would be with us, that we'd be focused on you, that you would remove any distractions from our minds, and that we would be uh, entirely devoted to, to learning about you and to worshiping and praising you this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. So, again, new mythology, study of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about inspiration and illumination. We went over those a little bit when we were going through bibliology. Anybody off the top of their head remember the difference between inspiration and illumination? All right, well, good time to go through a review then, huh? That's why we're here. Inspiration and illumination. Inspiration of scripture is the doctrine of God's intervention into history through the written word with the view of offering mankind truth by way of human authors. So you guys should have some links for that one here in your handout. But it's talking about how God is one who intervenes in history through the written word, and he does so through the use of human authors. So two different agents at work, God the Holy Spirit and human authors, as he is inspiring them as to what they're to write when they were originally writing scripture for us some 2,000 to 4,000 years ago. What's at stake when it comes to our definition of inspiration? Um, a lot of people have a, a lesser view of inspiration. They'll say that the Bible is inspired in the sense that it is um, something that, that we enjoy. It's something that it's, it's really good to kind of inspire, right? Or maybe it just inspires us to, to go out to do something, to live better, to be better. But they don't have the understanding that it is inspired in the sense that it is God-breathed, that God is the one who actually spoke into existence, that he's the one who's given it to us. So we have to have a, a higher view of inspiration, not just understanding the Bible to be inspiring. But here are some inspirational quotes of kind of pun on the, the term inspiration, but it's speaking of biblical inspiration. Um, Frame, John Frame says that a divine act creating an identity between a divine word and a human word. <clears throat> so again, we see the, the connection. There are two different agents. Like God is the one who is speaking, but he is using human authors to get that message across. So I just heard it, like, not two seconds ago, oh, right. I won't use it. The board, but here I am. <laughs> I asked if I could erase the board. She did. Um, so it's it's common to speak of um, the capital A author of scripture, and that's speaking of the Holy Spirit. But we also have the lowercase authors of scripture uh, who write each individual book of the Bible. Did we acknowledge how good of a pun that is? Uh, I I referenced it. I didn't. Say that it was a good pun. Okay. No, all right. I just wanted to clarify it. It was supposed to be a pun. <laughs> so, 
It was acknowledged. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dr. Ryder says that God superintended, that's a good word, he superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. So those that phrase in there that it's without error and in the original writings, those are two important clauses in there that when we had the original manuscripts, when God first spoke to uh, John and to Paul, to Peter, to these authors of the Bible, that they wrote down without error, um, verbally, it was inspired by God. It was perfect in every sense. And yes, in the original writings. MacArthur make you say that God produced the scriptures by influencing the human author's own thoughts, which, again, going back to this understanding of two different authors, but one outcome, it's pretty crazy that you can see the, the fingerprints of both the divine Holy Spirit and the human author as a writer. They have different writing styles. Um, Luke writes very high-ended type of Greek. He was a doctor, so you would expect that. And he's writing scripture at the same time that Peter, a fisherman, is writing scripture. So obviously it's going to come across a little bit differently, but it's being directed and driven by the Holy Spirit, the same divine author. All the words in the Bible are God's words. So that's a good little short summation. Every word in the Bible is God's word. And then again, MacArthur made you. The doctrine of scripture is absolutely fundamental and essential because it in, in identifies the only true source for all Christian truth. Scripture repeatedly claims to be the word of God. The prophets appeal to it as the foundations for God's promises and judgments. Christ and his apostles base the whole of Christian doctrine on the scriptures. And I would say that it's even the foundation for, for all truth, not just Christian truth. I know that it says it identifies the only source for all Christian truth, but any truth can't be substantiated without appealing to um, a, a God who created us with the, the faculties that we have, with the ability to think and reason. Um, if, if we don't appeal to a God who has given us that, then we have no reason to, to even question the words that are coming out of our mouths. Yes? Do you even trust anything that comes out of our mouth? Yeah, okay. If you say that, oh, we just came from monkeys, and those monkeys just came from Stardust, and that Stardust was just blown into existence out of nowhere one day, then why would you trust whatever you're saying? So even a, a non-believing atheist will borrow from a Christian worldview because it's the only foundation that actually makes sense. It's cohesive and consistent. So inspiration. Our goal is to discover what the Bible has to say about itself and not to impose a preconceived definition into our theology, which is difficult to do. And really, I think it's impossible to do. We all have some sort of presupposition, some sort of uh, pre-understanding of what the Bible says when we come to the Bible. And so we have to work our best to strip away those pre-understandings when we're coming to the text. Um, and we will build upon those presuppositions as we delve farther into the text. So we've all come here this morning, I think, uh, with the understanding that this is God's word. And that's a good presupposition to have. Um, we have come to the table with the understanding that it has been preserved for us after 
well, probably before, but definitely after going through bibliology, we should have that understanding that this is trustworthy. One, it's God's word. Two, it's trustworthy as it's been delivered for us. And then you make different connections through scripture that build upon one another. But we have to try to clear ourselves of any other pre presuppositions before we come to the text of scripture. Take it for what it is instead of imposing what we think it might say onto the text. Realizing that there is one true interpretation of scripture. And so it can't be saying one thing to me, something else to Brittany, something else to Jerry. It has one true understanding. We have to seek to understand that in the light of the original, both capital A and lowercase a author. Because those two will be in agreement. So we have to make sure that we are agreeing with that instead of trying to twist it so they are agreeing with us. Yes? How do you have those conversations when um, there are actually churches right now that are having Bible studies where they talk about what is this, how do you interpret this and how do you interpret this and, and then they're like writing it down. I was listening to Alyssa Childers talk about it and I was just like, how do you, how do you respond to people? Because I feel like we are at a place where you have to boldly tell the truth yeah. without being completely alienated so that nobody will listen to you anyways. Yeah, you have to speak the truth in love, right? So we have to try to balance truth and love, compassion. Um, Jeremy just uh, interviewed her on his podcast, Holy oh, Childers, and it just came out last week. Um, and they got into that a little bit. That is a, a constant struggle to try to identify or we have to, we can't compromise on truth. We compromise on truth, and what are we even doing here? Um, and then we have to try to do it in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect, which is where the difficulty comes in. Um, but truth is, um, it is the, the pinnacle of all things, right? We have to seek to understand that truth. And so I would say just identify the, the inconsistencies in it. Um, well, what if I say that this means A, Brittany says this means B, Jerry says it means C, it can't mean all three, that's illogical. Um, it, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't compute. And so maybe try to point out some of those things and being in a church that <laughs> doesn't do that would be a, a good start. So, and well, we'll that could it be asked, what did God mean? That's the important thing, it's not yeah. what, what I think he means. Yeah, yeah, I think it says something different from what God says. There, there are two possibilities. Either I'm right and God is wrong, which is yeah. ridiculous, or I need to submit myself to the truth of God's word, realizing that it is authoritative and I am wrong. All right, scripture speaks of itself as being directly from God and consequently authoritative. So I should just push the button. Um, <laughs> scripture is authoritative. We are not. All right, let's all turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll look at um, Peter's understanding of inspiration. 2 Peter chapter 1, well, somebody read verses 16 through 18 before we get into that passage. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. But when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Quote, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, end quote. And 
We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. All right. So there's one correct answer to this question, right? Because that's how scripture works. Um, who is writing here? Who's the author? The human author. The human author. author. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just said that. I just said there are two answers. There's one answer. All right. So yeah, the human author is Peter. Um, and, and that's important to recognize whenever you come to any text that's foundational to Bible study methods. Who is writing where they're into? So Peter is writing. And what is the, the event that he's referencing back to? Do you guys recognize that? The gospel. Uh, the transfiguration the, explicitly. Oh, yes, yeah, so the transfiguration. So he's talking oh. about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and how he made it clear to him. And um, well, that was about 15. But yeah, in 17, talking about how the Father said to the Son, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And he said that we ourselves heard this utterance. Um, in 16, he said that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he was there. Who was he with? Do you remember? He was with James and John, James and John. The inner circle of Christ. So Peter was there with James and John. They saw Jesus come in his glory. They were eyewitnesses to it. Um, and they themselves heard this utterance made from heaven. Now let's go on. Let's look at verses 19 through 21 and see what he says about this event. Glory 19 through 21. I guess. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but, as, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All right. And so there, he, we see that he's comparing his experience where he says, we saw Jesus Christ in his glory, that God the Father spoke from heaven. We heard that voice. We were there. We were eyewitnesses to that. Um, he says, we were following cleverly devised tales. We're not just coming up with this on our own. He says that this was um, given to us by God. In verse 19, he says that we have the prophetic word made more sure. So he's putting more stock in the prophetic word of Scripture than his experience of the transfiguration. And when he's appealing to the prophetic word, he says pretty explicitly that no, script, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So it's not something that we get to decide. It's not something that he just came up with on his own. And then in verse 21, this is the, the key verse, a good memory verse, if you don't know. It says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so what does that mean when it says that the men who spoke from God, who wrote Scripture, were moved by the Holy Spirit? How should we understand that? Being inspired, that wouldn't be a word, I guess, that he actually supernaturally inspired them. Yeah, so he was kind of directing them as they were writing. Right? Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on that? Walker. So back in um, the Old Testament, they didn't know that they were being moved by the Holy Spirit, but they were? Um, I think that they knew. 
opinion David and I don't know if they they always knew and fully understood. They definitely didn't understand that there were these two different aspects that God was telling them what to write, but their human uh, personality was coming through. I think they were just being obedient to what God told them to do. Yes, okay, I will. It's probably similar. The writing aspect was probably similar to the vocal aspect with the prophets as the more the prophets would go out and proclaim something to the people and would say, thus says the Lord, and then quote God. I'm sure that there was a similar understanding when they were writing things down. And I, you know, I, I see in this, um, the question of what does it mean to be moved or carried along, uh, the word control comes up. And of course, like you mentioned, not to the negation of their personality, but there was divine control. Yeah. But it was mechanical in the sense that right this word, this word, this word. And it, it wasn't hypnotism, <laughs> but it was control. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah, he, he says exactly what he wants to say, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. But he uses a human He uses a human author to do it. That's right. That's astounding. It, to me, this is the best example of when people struggle with divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This is the best example of that. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Right. Isn't there an, I'm going to devil's advocate, isn't there an elephant in the room when we're in Utah talking about the divine scripture that coming through a man? How do you have that conversation? Uh, we we tend to address the elephant more so than other churches in Utah, and I personally don't have a problem saying that Joseph Smith was not a prophet. You can point to um, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18 for the test of a prophet, and you can see that he fails those tests. That he pointed people after another god, and he made prophecies that didn't come true. And so, um, yes, we do not. Join fellowship with the Latter-day Saints. We love Latter-day Saints. We want to reach them for Christ, realizing that they are lost and they don't believe in true gospel and they have need for a Savior. And for realizing that they even have that need for a Savior because they have this understanding that we are all children of God, which is fundamentally incorrect. We are born as children of Satan, enemies of God, children of wrath. We need to be adopted by Christ. And so... We definitely address that. Sure. And as we see through the centuries, of, there are many men who claim to have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. But yeah. one of the proof of evidence is in that it does not meet the standards of the Bible. Most of the times it's, it's more man's philosophy than it's God, because they deviate from the Word of God. But, but themselves and in their own philosophy, and that's a good tip off it. No, they were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Or yeah, with the Word of God. That's the key. The Holy Spirit is consistent. He is truth, right? He is a spirit of truth, and so he will always be consistent with himself. And so again, we spoke on this quite a bit back in bibliology. So if you have more thoughts or questions on um, how that works. In reference to, to inspiration, how do we identify what is truly inspired? That would be a good place to go. But looking at the Holy Spirit, the personal Holy Spirit, we need to realize that He is the one who is inspiring these these men to be carried along and do what it is that they're doing. All right. Um, we kind of talked about that. <laughs> All right. 
big idea is that the message of prophets originated with God. Scripture did not come about by the will of man, but by the will of God. Bible authors were led by the Holy Spirit. Their hands or minds were moved by God's hand and God's mind. Anthropomorphically speaking, he doesn't really have a hand or a mind, but um, he's the one who's controlling and directing the human authors. Again, MacArthur made you say that it was a miraculous process that directed, directly involved the personal attention and directed power of the Holy Spirit. The expression carried along or moved is the same as that used in Acts to describe a ship being moved along by the winds. So it's passive, right? The ship was just sitting there, the winds were moving along, and the human authors were passively being carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit, who was the active force in that. Thoughts or questions on that? I'm seeing faces. Well, all of these are very, very explicitly clear. And people just have to decide if they're going to accept it or not. Yeah. Or we're going to submit ourselves to that. Yeah, it's the end, of, the end of the discussion, really. If you want to disagree with it, you're it's, it's, it's not confusing in any sense. Again, it all goes back to our, our hermeneutic, our Bible study method. If we want to take and impose on the text our own understanding, we want to say that it inspires us in whatever way we want to be inspired, then we become the standard, we become the, the rule for what it is to say, rather than submitting to it as being authoritative and listening to it as, as to what it has to say to us. I guess the word passive kind of threw me off because that, like even a ship being carried along where the wind is controlled, like so that would be, I don't know, and even I have a MacArthur Bible, he says they were active rather than passive mm -hmm. in his commentary, so it's kind of, I guess kind of passive in a way, but it's controlled passiveness. Yes, it's know. a passiveness. Paradox. Yeah, it's confusing. It's both in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not, again, completely passive in the sense that they're mechanically writing yeah. out like a robot would. But they're the ones who are being controlled. God is the one who is the, the primary source. He is the first, um, the first action. And he is working upon his creatures. As with so many doctrines that we have, the ends is clear, but the means to that end is very muddy for us because we are so limited. So we understand the end is the word of God. All the words are God's words, but the means of how he got there is only he knows all the details. Yes, yes. All right. Starting point. God the Spirit superintended the process by which man heard from God. It is one of his ministries. The inspiration no longer goes on today. This particular ministry of the Holy Spirit is not an ongoing ministry. And again, that speaks to your question about Joseph Smith and even modern-day prophets. We don't believe they're modern-day prophets in the biblical sense of the word prophet. Um, that, that's something that has ceased. That in times past, God spoke to us in many ways, in many portions, through the fathers, to the fathers, through the prophets. But now he spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God the Spirit's ministry concerning Scripture has transitioned from inspiration to illumination. So he once inspired these authors originally and preserved the, the writings for us. 
and now his, um, his ministry to us is to illumine the scriptures for us so that we would have a better understanding of what they are. I'm not sure if I'm recording this. That's okay. Yeah, you are. If it's moving. Yeah, I'm just not seeing any bones. All right, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 2. We just went through this not long ago. Alright, and when we get there, will somebody read for us verses 1 through 9? I got it. Uh, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's <clears throat> secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him in IV. All right. So Paul is making it clear. He's not speaking on his own. Uh, in fact, in the beginning he says, I don't even know how to speak with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, which is quite a humble thing for the Apostle Paul to say. Um, but verse 5, he says, I do that so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And then in verse 8, he says, a wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. So it's a wisdom that comes from God. It is God's wisdom in a mystery. And it's not able to be understood by other people, but he wants us to know that he is being inspired as he writes this. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, stating his message to them was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why did Paul feel the need to clarify this to them? He's stating in Scripture. Why does that matter? What, what about Scripture is unique? Why is that different from the words? They're the words of God. They're utterly unique. And he's authoritative. Authoritative, yeah. They have authority. All right. In other words, if it said at the beginning that I came to you with wisdom and you know all this other stuff, you'd be like, well, Paul, you're kind of full of yourself, number one. And number two, it's just you talking. Yeah. And as we've, we've talked about in our First Corinthians series, they actually probably would have picked that up if he said, well, I'm coming to you in my own wisdom, because they prided themselves on wisdom. The, the Greeks sought after wisdom, the Jews sought after a side, and they would have loved that. But Paul, in humility, said, no, I'm not going to play that game, because I'm not coming to you in my own wisdom. I'm coming to you in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is more authoritative than what I could say. So even though Paul could go in, he could throw down in a, dis a dispute or a debate, he could be anybody. He said, my words really don't matter. It's about the words of God and what he has to say ultimately. All right, let's, 
uh, go on. We're going to make our way through this chapter. It's not a long chapter. Will somebody read verses 10 through 13, please? I got it. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So who is doing what in the verses? all things of God and man knows those things because of the Spirit? Yeah, we can only know because God has revealed it to us through the Spirit. He says the Spirit of man can't know himself. Um, and we can't know the Spirit of God unless he has revealed it to us. That's, um, well, that's what inspiration is all about, for him to first reveal it to us and then to internalize it and help us to understand it. The only way that we could ever hear from God is if God himself decided to communicate with us. And indeed he has, through his spirit, through the words of scripture. Will somebody grab verses 14 through 16 and wrap up the chapter for us? But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually praised. But he who is spiritual praises God, yet he himself is praised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right, so once again, the last little section of verses says, who can know the spirit of a man except, or who can know a man except the spirit of a man? Um, and we can't know God unless it has been revealed to us. Yet, it hasn't been revealed to everybody. We don't naturally have that understanding innately of who God is. It has to be revealed to us. It has to be shown to us. Um, and that happens through Scripture. We must rely on the Spirit of God to illuminate His own words in our minds, because without Him, we are the natural man. We're not able to just understand them in a, a moving way that is transformative, that can take us and transform us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There are Bible scholars who are atheists, who deny the existence of God, who know the Bible better than anybody we've ever met, but they have not been moved and changed and transformed by the Bible. So in a spiritual sense, we can go out and find the youngest true believer in this church, and they would have more spiritual insight than that unbelieving theologian, because God has worked in their heart in a transformative way. As Christians, we have access to the mind of God through Christ's work that grants us the Spirit. And again, it's that Spirit that allows us to, to truly understand and to internalize the truths of Scripture. Illumination of Scripture is God's teaching of his child what it is that he has communicated so that the child may trust and obey. Illumination of Scripture is God's teaching of his child what it is that he has communicated so that the child may trust 
and obey. We have to have that teaching, that problem by the Holy Spirit. I think it's 1 John 2, 17 or 27, um, somewhere in 1 John 2, that says you have no need of a human teacher because you have the Holy Spirit who's with you, who takes you along and teaches you. Um, but we still have um, pastors and teachers who are moved by the Holy Spirit who he uses to help understand and, and better um, divide the word of truth. The Spirit's ministry of illumination goes hand in hand with his guiding and his filling. We oftentimes might pray that the Spirit would guide us or the Spirit would fill us. And maybe we'll do that half-heartedly, not half-heartedly, half-mindedly, maybe without really thinking about it, but realizing that he has done so through his word. And we need to go through his word for uh, the illumination of the revelation that he's already given to the inspired apostles and prophets as they wrote. Any thoughts or questions at this point? Alright. God illumines our understanding of his word to instruct us how to live. This is a continual process, something that goes on and on. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says to be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, who is accurately or correctly dividing the word of truth. That's always important to, to seek to be doing. Um, let's look up this other passage real quick in Luke 24. Luke 24, 44 through 49. And that says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he, that is Christ, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city where you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus had opened up their eyes while they were there. He had revealed to them helped them to understand. And as he was leaving, he was sending a counselor, a help, helper, paraclete, who was to come and to do that for all of the believers for all time in uh, indwelling sense that they didn't have before. Illumination does not make us perfect or comprehensive in our knowledge of God, but it's the only way we can obtain knowledge of God. That's an important point there, to realize that we're not going to have perfect or comprehensive knowledge. And so there is the ability for disagreements. Um, I can't open up my Bible and say, oh, I am... The Holy Spirit indwelling me has illumined this to me and um, lit this up so that I understand it. And so I have perfect understanding of this. And then I can go up the street to uh, a Presbyterian brother and say, you're wrong, because God has revealed to me. And um, we have to recognize and understand there are going to be differences of opinion because illumination doesn't equate to perfect comprehensive knowledge. That's one of the most amazing things about the Christian life, the continual process of illumination that, uh, you know, when someone, especially if they're older, 
first becomes a Christian, they read through maybe the whole Bible and they're like, oh, I get it. It all makes so much sense. And it does make so much sense. And it is clear. And it doesn't, you know, it makes sense. But little does that person know that they're just barely scratching the surface on all the things that God has them to see in there. And you cannot exhaust Scripture. Yeah. Study, you could read the whole thing every day for the rest of your life and not exhaust it. <laughs> That's one other way that it's different from Dr. Seuss or any other book, right? Not just that this is authoritative, but its depths are unsearchable. And so, yeah, you can go through it year after year. You think about another book, and if we spend the time, hopefully, that we do in the Bible studying another book, how tedious and boring we get, and we want to come on Sundays once a week, twice, three times a week to talk about it, um, because it's not deep like scripture is deep, because it doesn't come from God. But how does, how does it work if, if you're constantly having illumination and like you said, you go down the street to the Presbyterian church? Because like there's different there's different sects within the church, right? Yeah. So how do um, how do you know which one's right? Because there has to be a right. There does have to be truth. That doesn't mean there has to be a true local church. And so we have to make a distinction between the universal church, those who are actually in Christ, and a local church. So there's no perfect local church, not even a perfect denomination or group of churches, but the Word of God is perfect, and we do our best to submit ourselves to it as being perfect. What? And there's a perfect podcast to listen to, to work on these <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was a fun. instructive in that. He goes through and he talks about how do we uh, focus on primary issues and um, work through the, the secondary and, and tertiary issues, these doubtful things in scripture. And his podcast is Do Theology. Do Theology. Is it on Spotify? Oh yeah. yes. It's everywhere you can consume your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do we have everywhere where there is podcasts are available? <laughs> Yeah, but truly it is a, a good resource to help work through those things because those are, are difficult issues. Trying to figure out where do we divide with other believers and where can we unite with other believers. Um, but ultimately, I think realizing that illumination doesn't equate to perfect comprehensive knowledge. And so just because somebody doesn't agree with us on what is a, a secondary or tertiary issue doesn't mean that we should cast them out of the kingdom and say, well, they're not believers. But we also should be searching for a perfect local church because it, it doesn't exist. But also, like, people can claim that illumination, that they've had illumination that doesn't fit within the bounds of Scripture. And I think that's a big red flag when you're asking those kinds of questions um, of people who have different views. Like, if, if, that, if what they're saying doesn't fit in with Scripture to begin with, it's not actually an illumination from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if that's in view of salvation, that's a big deal. Um, if it's in view of um, egalitarianism, I would say that's a, a big deal. That's saying that uh, women and men can be equal and that women can, can preach and uh, take the position of an elder and a pastor. I think that's a big deal. Maybe not so much that you condemn them for their salvation. Certainly not so much you condemn them for their salvation. But if you take that same position and apply it to um, alcohol and consumption of alcohol, then that's certainly a lot lower on the, the scale of what we should be concerned with. But, like you said, when 
when they're going directly against scripture, scripture has to be our ultimate authority. But there are ways where we could take, we could understand scripture that, in a way that kind of makes sense to us, um, but it's wrong. <laughs> um, and so we have to work through those issues. Carrie, yeah. did you see that thing that Jeremy did in the lobby? The chart. The chart? Okay. I'll, I'll grab it for you. It, it's basically, it gives you kind of a really good basic idea of where you have to draw a hard line sometimes and where you can, you know, you, you give grace to brothers and sisters. So it's pretty helpful. We're in that interesting place because we live with my in-laws and the whole, our entire family is LDS. So, yeah. so having the grace and yeah. <laughs> having many conversations and just going, I'm going to hold my mouth here at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can choose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not easy. Yeah, it be difficult. Yeah. Jared, do you have something? Well, I just have to put in my favorite saying, you may hold your ears. You know, another way of saying that is, you know, we have, we can have true knowledge, but we can never have exhaustive knowledge. And we can see that in, in any discipline, you know, the thing that I was most impressed with growing up was math. You know, it was just so amazing to, to finally have the light come on, you know, with algebra, and, and yet you know that you can study math for the rest of your life and never exhaust all the rules and inner workings of, of mathematics. And that's just one tiny little spot of our yeah. mind. And we can, and truth such as this is so much more comprehensive and broad and open to our own fallenness affecting it. Just goes on. All of that goes on forever because we never get past that. So it, the more authoritative we feel about our illumination, the more idolatrous we're becoming because we're just ignoring our own fallenness, our own limitation because we're ignorant. And ignorance is just the greatest. Area which we can be confident in. <laughs> yeah, that's why accountability is so vital, so key, because we can easily run off down the trail, think we're going the right direction, and fall into a pit. But when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who can keep us in check um, and say, point us back to the Word of God and help us have a correct understanding of it, then that can keep us from going into these pits. When we are being illumined by the Spirit of God, we are being taught the Bible by its author. That is critical thought. That the very one who spoke it into existence is now helping us to internally understand it and to apply it to our lives and to have a true recognition and understanding of what it is that he was saying to us. So that's that's cool thought. It's not often that you can um, have that, that combination. Illumination does not discount the need for human teachers. How do we navigate disagreements? Um, we kind of got into that a little bit. Um, just from earlier this week, I was talking to a Latter-day Saint guy, and uh, this gets brought up a lot in our evangelistic conversations with them, because of course the whole religion was founded on 
there are so many disagreements, none of them are right, and therefore there needs to be one true church, et cetera, et cetera. And so he brought up, well, this is the problem with Christianity. You all believe different things and all claim to be led by the Spirit. So did they. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I didn't even get into the 70-plus different sects of uh, Latter-day Saint religion. But anyway, um, I... You know, I, I was trying to teach teach him the concept of hermeneutics because that's vital to all this. Their orthodoxy within Christianity exists beyond denominational divides. So we can stand with um, we can stand with Presbyterians, we can stand with Baptists, we can stand with uh, some Lutherans, yeah, some Lutherans, some Anglicans, <laughs> some Methodists. It's getting harder and harder for so, a lot of them. Some charismatic. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. We can stand with a lot of these people um, with whom we have major disagreements in how we conduct our church life, but we all agree on the things that are absolutely clear in Scripture. And that's, that's the issue, is there are doctrines that go beyond our own interpretive methods that are clear no matter what valid method you're using. Now, when someone approaches scripture with an invalid method saying like everything is allegory so well jesus that's that's written to us this person jesus he's just an allegory for all of mankind and the what mankind is supposed to look like well that is an invalid way of interpreting scripture but if you approach scripture seeking the original intent of the author you are going to come out with orthodoxy because there's no way to read with a valid interpretive method and then deny the clearest doctrines in Scripture. There's no way. So I was trying to explain to him, well, if I took the Book of Mormon and said that uh, it's all allegory and gave you all kinds of hidden meanings, you would say, that's not right. And uh, so I was trying to teach him, from our perspective, that's how we view uh, the doctrines of Scripture. And once again, even unbelieving uh, Bible students or theologians can <laughs> I don't know if I should use that term, but uh, people who study the Bible, they can come to the Bible, they can have an understanding of what it says, and they can deny that. So they can uh, come to a, a conclusion, a consensus of what it is that the Bible is saying, who it is that Jesus is in this person, that he claimed to be God, that he was God, um, and they can deny that. But if you, you twist it and lie it, then there's no end to what you can make it say. All right, other thoughts? Well, we often confuse the words. We like to use the words. Uh, um, we confuse the words uh, disagree or, or deny and the word refute. They're, they're just totally different things. But we can, just because you disagree with something doesn't mean you refute it whatsoever. Yeah. And we, we usually don't want to go past the disagreeing. That's, that's good enough for me. I, I don't really care what's true as long as I'm happy with my misunderstanding. Yep. And that's where we like to live. Yeah, it's easy to disagree with somebody when you don't present a, a positive explanation yeah. of um, what it is that you were proclaiming instead. Um, so we humbly approach um, those different disagreements. And I think part of that too is recognizing those disagreements are okay. I, yeah. We shouldn't have a preconceived notion that there should be perfect lines drawn. It is okay. In fact, in many ways, it's good that there are disagreements. So we kind of have to change our, our view on that. After understanding that there are secondary issues. Yes, right. All right. Groom says that we should pray that the Holy Spirit would give us his illumination 
and thereby help us to understand rightly when we study scripture or we ponder situations in our lives. Although he did not mention the Holy Spirit specifically, the psalmist prayed for such illumination when he asked God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And Grudem, speaking on the Holy Spirit, uh, we believe pretty different things uh, concerning the Holy Spirit than Grudem does, but we still don't have a problem throwing his name up there and uh, embracing many of the things that he says, because he's a brilliant man who says a lot of right things, but we have secondary disagreements with him, and that's okay. Just don't throw Mormon prophets up there, okay? Yes, ma'am. All right, inspiration is a spirit's ministry in causing God's exact message to be revealed through man into man. Again, that's inspiration, something that has ceased that he did for time with the biblical authors. Illumination is the Spirit's ministry in causing God's people to understand the message that he revealed through the prophets and the apostles. Inspiration was for the, the prophets and the apostles. Illumination is for us as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what he originally said to them. Can you go back to starting really fast? Yep, no worries. On this next slide, we're going to have a list of five different passages. I'm going to ask you guys to turn there, and we're going to read and look and try to decipher is it talking about inspiration or illumination. So we have five passages in five minutes, but we'll try to do our best. So, um, 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 3. Will somebody get each one of those? So you have one on your paper. So who's going to get second sign? Nice. All right, Jerry's got that. Rex, will you get Psalm 119? What about Isaiah 55? Walker, John 16. Who's got that? I'll get it. All right, and second Timothy 3, 16, 17. I can grab that one. All right, second Samuel 23, 1 through 3. Who's got that? Jerry? Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of God spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. All right, so what's going on in that passage? Is that inspiration or illumination? Inspiration. Inspiration. God is speaking through David. David clarified that his last song is a song from God for his people. All right, Psalm 119. May my cry come before you, O Lord, and give me understanding according to your word. May my supplications come before you, deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with, uh, with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Along for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may I, your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Inspiration or illumination? Illumination. Oh, illumination. Illumination. It says, give me understanding according to your word. Teach me your statutes. So he's already said, I've, I've embraced the truth of your word, your laws and precepts. 
now I'm coming to understand them. They are inspired words asking for illumination. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's an overlap for all. Yes. <laughs> There's a way of making somebody who gives a wrong answer seem right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, give me understanding. It is a sweet, inspired cry for illumination. A simple prayer that we can all and should all pray. All right, Psalm, or Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that yield seed for the sour and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What do you think about that passage? Huh? I think that was a passage. That was a passage, sorry. Inspiration or illumination? The answer is in verse 9, right? Illumination. Verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Yes. So what, what his word does then, it, it goes out as inspired, but it has to be affected by illumination. Yeah, so again, you see both aspects in that one. These words played out in history are inspiration, and they continue to play out in modern day history as illumination. John 16, 12 through 15. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Alright, we spoke about this one specifically a couple weeks ago, how it's Jesus specifically telling the disciples that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to inspire you, but that has ongoing lasting effects for us as we are um, illuminated by their inspired words. Alright, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God or breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is um, saying the scripture has been inspired by God, and we are illumined by the author. We are equipped by God for every good work. So again, both aspects there. So, you need to understand scripture was inspired once in the past. It's not something we should be looking for, any continued inspiration. We should be praying that the Holy Spirit would help illumine Scripture for us, because we can't understand it on our own, but only by the Spirit of God. And we should be praying for those who don't have the indwelling Spirit of God, that He would um, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and help them to have a biblical understanding of Scripture. All right, and we are out of time.